0: it's time for another episode of the hartley show thank you for all the support i sincerely appreciate it let's get right into it Yeah, I'm good. What's up, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of The Hartley Show. I'm finally back in New Jersey after a long, rigorous day. What was that? Thursday night and a Friday morning. I had a four and a half hour plane ride overnight, and I thought I was going to sleep for most of it, but I forgot my neck pillow, and I just thought, screw it. I'm going to stay up the entire flight and i did i watched coach carter phenomenal movie and you know now i'm here and i'm chilling and i have another phenomenal guest on i'll let him introduce himself
1: hey i'm eric Wirtz. um i am 19 years old and i'm going into my junior year of college and just kind of crossed paths with ethan through like fantasy baseball and then we got into fantasy hockey and um Yeah, just excited to be here and talk some sports and music.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm particularly excited for this episode because while I talk about sports a lot on here, I don't think I've ever had anybody on who mainly focuses on baseball and hockey. And those are two sports that I'm really trying to get into a lot more. And I consider you an expert at those sports. So I'm very excited for this episode. I'll start off asking this question. I've seen it a lot recently on all sorts of social media. Cheating in baseball. Well, what, what, what are your thoughts? Let's just start with that.
1: Um, I think it's a good move to crack down on everything. Um, it, it's just, it's such a tough aspect right. to right. focus on. Um, cause there's just so like, it's just been going on for so long and it's just, you know, kind of an open secret that so many pitchers use it and. I think it just crossed to the point where you're looking at um, batting stats going down now. Like I think they said on the Mets broadcast today that the batting average around the league is under 240, which that's like almost unheard of. Like offensive yeah. production is just so far down. And I also think that combined with deadening the ball that um, because they was just flying out of the um, ballparks for too many home runs in the past – or in the past couple of seasons. So I think combined with that and kind of this increase in either velocity, but it's mostly spin rate, which like StatCast is tracking that. So it's just crossed a point where it's like starting to become unfair to hitters. And I think that's where the MLB is drawing the line. Yeah, so I've seen a lot of people,
0: especially on TikTok post like evidence. There's just one guy, his name is like, mr Kami, i think and he just posts videos of every single time he sees a pitcher doing something and for most of the time i'd see it and it was only videos of them like physically like touching their mitt or something and i wasn't really sold on that just because there, i feel like there's a lot of different reasons for that i mean sometimes it's just a natural motion to kind of just grab your grab your mitt and that's that mm-hmm. so but it wasn't until actually he posted it was for Garrett Cole. It was his first start against Tampa Bay where he had, like, 12 strikeouts, like, probably a minimal amount of hits. And then his second start where he let up, like, five earned runs and probably ended up with a loss. And he showed the spin rates, like, the average spin rate between those games, and the difference was, like, a 1,000. And people in the comments were saying, like, it's usually, like, 400, if, if, if anything. And that was, like, the moment I was sold because, like, that's obviously not normal. and you really see the disparity because it was probably like three weeks apart. Yeah. So it's it's not like he's getting into sort of any real rhythm. That's probably like three starts in total. And that like that was just a moment I was like, yeah, there's there's definitely something going on because I also remember there was the the Cardinals reliever who got called out for it. And I don't ever think he it was actually confirmed that there was something, some foreign substance on his hat but they just like called him out anyway and they almost kicked him out of the game for it.
1: Yeah, it was just like I think it came out that it was like a mixture of dirt and sunscreen and there is not really anything people can do about that because you like you can't prevent a player from wearing sunscreen, but at the same time oh, yeah. it's something that's sticky and can have an effect on the the baseball from what I've heard. I'm not an expert in that field, but um yeah, I just I have like you know I we've been talking about this at work or at my job recently and they're just all huge baseball fans so we've just been discussing it and like you know garrett cole was kind of getting worse in pittsburgh like he started off as a really good pitcher around 250 era 260 and a couple of years after you know his first he kind of burst on the scene his era started to go up to like three something and then it was like at 460 then he gets traded to Houston and you see his that's where his spin rate dramatically increased he became a much better pitcher and it just kind of ties into the Astros just I mean again I don't want to like single out the Astros because it's just so many people are doing this but they're definitely you saw them transform the careers of Cole who was on a downward trend Justin Verlander was starting to age he was on a downward trend he found new life in Houston same with Charlie Morton so we think it's just whatever the astros were using that's probably something that's going around the league
0: yeah and not to mention their entire hitting scandal as well I and mean, they, they didn't even touch on their pitching aspect which those are all valid points in terms of especially verlander and morton mm-hmm. continuing to age and somehow it, they're, they're just defining the odds in one of the most precise sports
1: yep Yeah, and then there was that scandal with the Angels clubhouse attendant who was, you know, supplying to people all over the league, not just to the Angels. They were saying that he had, like, the best foreign substance grip or a best foreign substance that can, like, you know, kind of add spin rate and increase grip and it was just to the point where the Angels are like, uh, why are you helping other teams? Like, there was just, there was no boundaries. People could just buy this and use it. So I think that was the biggest eye opening thing for me. I think that happened like last year at some point. And yeah, I just, remember yeah, hearing about that. Yeah, it's just kinda of grown from there.
0: So what do you think exactly happens Because I believe now I think I saw one minor league prospect get banned like seven games for
1: it. Um I believe it was four people got suspended for ten games. Which I think is um, you kind of just treat it like steroids. I mean, not something at it's not something as um, you know dramatic as steroids, but at the same time, it's still you know it's against the rules, but no one enforces the rules. So I think ten games is a good start, and then just kind of like they have with steroids, just kind of go up and up, like they have with steroids. It's like first be- or first time they catch you was eighty one games. Second time they get you was one sixty two and the third time you're out of baseball. So if they do something like that, like, you know, you get 10 games and then if you're caught again, you get like 50 or something like that. Um, I think that's the next step that they have to go into.
0: And how would you think they enforce it considering, like, it, does it just involve more people checking more things? Um, I and mean, I feel like there, there's gonna be a point where just it crosses a line of being ethical in terms of business.
1: Yeah, I think I heard that, like, they are going to be kind of attendants working with the MLB. that are going to, like, pull pitchers off to the side, like, after they finish an inning and see if they're, like, you know, kind of check their glove, check their mid, check, like, their arms or their neck to see if they have, like, some sort of substance on them. And just, you know, it's definitely, it's something like like you said with that, the TikTok account. It's just, you know none of it or you can't really tell if it's just like you know like a player is touching his mitt or if he's actually applying something to his fingers you know it's just something that's so hard so i mean i guess you're just gonna have to train people like on what to look for um and yeah it's just it's definitely a confusing time
0: yeah what's your personal opinion on let's say like a percentage of how many pitchers are actually using foreign substances
1: I'd probably guess, like, maybe 30 at minimum. Um, it's just another thing, like, to look at it, with it is, um, I, as much as I can't stand him for multiple reasons, Trevor Bauer, he's just, he has the best fastball spin rate in the league. And he's a guy who is saying that, like, he could not physically get his spin rate above 2250. And then... Uh, he was trying to, you know, advocate for the MLB enforcing this and then kind of just reached the point where it's like, fine, if you're not going to enforce it, I'm just going to use whatever I want. And then he's just been working on this for, like, years and kind of perfected the perfect substance to get the best spin rate. And you're looking at, you know, Cy Young last year, huge contract, and he's pitching really well this year. So I think that's definitely a huge example of, like, a player blatantly using it like everyone knows he's using it and they're not doing anything about it yeah, so I just and, think um, I don't know and I kind of went away from your original question but I was just thinking about like I was looking at a the spin rate leaderboards and you know DeGrom who I watch uh, closely every start he's just like he just kind of gets the ball looks for the sign throws it gets the ball looks for the sign like you could just there's nothing to even see with him and his spin rate has Mm -hmm. actually gone down this year and that's like you know kind of the big indicator and if that's trending downwards you're really not looking at something with him and he's I think 77th percentile in the league so that's just kind of like 23 percent above him I'd have to guess are using something because you're looking at the best pitcher in the world and then everyone above him you know I'm kind of questionable towards
0: yeah and it seems like pretty conclusive to like everyone in the league that it's like everybody but him is using it just based on the tracking of his numbers over the year but i've heard people comment as much as like 90 percent are using it and i think that I don't know. I, I don't know the most about it, but I feel like that's like just astronomical. Like that's getting like that's obviously getting to a point where it's completely out of hand, and it's like, what? Like, why would you even like continue to watch or like affiliate with the league at that point? Yeah, like,
1: yeah. I'm still learning about it. Also, <laughs> I still like don't fully understand it. So I'm trying to kind of like you know figure information out, try to kind of get a grasp on the situation. But yeah, I mean, that's just. Uh, there's just so much guessing. It's like you just don't know how bad this problem is until it like maybe um, something like the steroid scandal happens, where it's like you know people get suspended in a mass kind of grouping. I don't. It was like when yeah. I can only remember a few players in it, but um, like when A Rod got suspended, I think like Nelson Cruz did and Bartolo Colon did, and um, so I think you're gonna probably see something like that. Or it's like they might put bauer or suspend bauer and suspend cole and guys they know are using something yeah
0: that make a lot of sense and hopefully it would send a message to the rest of the league but Mm -hmm. the big thing that i've like thought about and you brought it up a little bit as well is it's like massive contracts coming from their performances that are completely tainted Mm -hmm. like that's i mean that's millions of dollars i mean Baseball is one of the, the richest sports you can earn a contract in. Yeah. And, like, you're just sucking money and you're just cheating, essentially. Yeah. Like, exactly, it's... you're looking at well, I, mean, Cole, I can't, I can't you... even come up with, like, words yep. to, like, ex- express that. You're just robbing your franchises.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly. Like, you don't really know what they're capable of anymore if they're using something to kind of, um, you know, gain an advantage over the hitter. Um, you're looking at Garrett Cole, who was, you know, kind of revitalized his our career in Houston, and now he gets this giant contract with the Yankees. And, you know, same thing with, like, what I touched upon, and what do you ask, or, you know, I mean, but with, with Bauer, it's like, he goes and has this, like, insane year with the Reds, and now has the biggest contract in baseball history, and we know he's using something to, you know, um... Enhance his fastballs and his other pitches, really. But fastball is the big one, so it's just definitely going to turn into an ugly situation for the MLB. And you know, it's something they really can't afford because they've already been dealing with the juiced ball uh, controversy over the past two years, and then yeah. now they deaden the ball and now it's harder to hit. Um, then you had the Astro scandal that they had to deal with, and um thinking of one other one but it might come back to me i don't know oh i have that yeah. with the, the all-star game in atlanta that's another thing it's like it's minor on terms of like gameplay but at the same time it just it's another kind of sort of bad press for them
0: yeah especially and it'd be curious i think because this is obviously something that isn't entirely answered or, or maybe it is but maybe just in small portions because like not everybody has gotten caught yet, but in terms of just the impact, I mean obviously spin rate is a huge thing, but I think at the end of the day it obviously really boils down to wins and how many runs you let up. Like it'd be interesting for like Garrett Cole, for example. Like this year I believe he's pitching around like a two ERA. Like what if that shoots up to like a high three and then all of a sudden like you're like an average pitcher amongst everybody Mm -hmm. else, but you're making thirty six billion dollars. I mean that's like Franchise altering in terms of the money that you committed to this player to just be like average at best. I mean, it's yeah. it's wild. It, it really is.
1: And then like on the flip side, you look at guys like you know, um, just coming out of Houston like George Springer, who got a massive deal with the Blue Jays, and you're like, how much of that is you know legit Springer, or how much of it was you know all the stuff surrounding the Astros the past few years? So. And he's just, uh, he hasn't been able to like really stay on the field. I think he's only played a few games so far. He's been on the IL yeah. most of the season. But at the same time, I was like, I found it interesting to see. It's kind of like when a player leaves the Rockies and you know, you're interested to see like, can they hit outside of course field? That's kind of how it is. With the Astros now with the players who were involved in that. It's like, are they going to be able to kind of put up the numbers that they were, you know, are they really good players?
0: Yeah, and I don't think the shortened season really helped because that's still an extremely small sample size. And if you get hurt Mm -hmm. for 10 days, like that's a sixth of the season. Yeah. Like about, and that's way too small of a sample size. So I feel like on top of like Trevor Bauer in this instance, because he did win Cy Young last year in the the condensed season, on top of using Ford and possibly most likely, you know, you're a lot of teams in this off season really banked off of what you played in those 60 games mainly because of all the time off beforehand like at, at that point it's just you know old numbers and progression and all that it's, it's kind of getting screwy in the in the MLB i mean they they've always had problems like they fumbled with covid really hard and only getting 60 mm-hmm. games and you know a lot of players weren't happy and some players opted out but it's it's really trending down in terms of just you know how they're handling it and the sport itself
1: yep yeah i feel like everyone who's a big fan of a sport thinks the league is a mess but it's like you uh, they're just uh, just every year there's something now and it's just it's been frustrating you know you're and like on top of that you're looking with them with like these awful rules like the runner on second base and extra innings I can't stand that rule. And like every single person yeah, I ask about it that watches baseball hates it. And, yeah, I'm not um, for it. yeah, like the seven inning doubleheaders, it's like it's not a real baseball game. It's like baseball has been played nine innings for how long, and now you just want to change it to try and fit more or make the games a little quicker. You know, what does cutting off yeah. two innings really do? So, um, That'd... I don't know.
0: Yeah, and I was gonna say the on the other spectrum of that, like they removed universal DH, which me personally, and I think most yeah. people would agree, that that's something that should have stayed, because I think everyone's mm-hmm. tired of having the eighth batter be intentionally walked just to have the the pitcher put up in a a scenario where there's runners on base that so you can score, and of course they're not gonna hit it because that's not their job.
1: Yeah, like see, personally, I like the DH, but just for. Because, I don't know, the Mets have just had, like, such good hitting pitchers recently that it's like, I'm like, pitchers <laughs> don't struggle to hit unless, but that's just, you know, I watch one team. So, you know, DeGrom, he went 0-3 yeah. last night, I think, and you now he's hitting 390-something, so that this is just what we're kind of accustomed <laughs> to here. You know, Syndergaard's always been a good hitter, um, you know, Harvey and Mats were... So it's like, I, it's just like second nature to me to just have pitchers hitting, but I can understand it. It's like last year there was, you know, it's kind of just a break in the lineup, you know, and last year you didn't have that, mm-hmm. but now we're back to it. It's like, oh, the pitcher's coming up. This is an easy out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Speaking so I can I can
1: definitely see that coming into coming back into play next year.
0: Yeah. Speaking of the Mets, what what are your thoughts so far considering how weird the division is in general?
1: Um yeah, they're kind of just the team that sucks the least right now. Um <laughs>
0: that's a fair way to put it.
1: Yeah. They they're just their pitching has been unbelievable. Um obviously, I just DeGrom, I've never seen anything like this. Uh 0.61 ERA. He's allowed like 4 earned runs. And he has three RBIs and has allowed four runs all year. So it's just, it's mind-blowing what he's done. I think he's only walked like nine people, has 70-something strikeouts. Just every night, it's like every time he starts, you don't want to take your eyes off the screen. And that's, that's you know, hard to feel that way towards baseball. <laughs> but um, but then past that, you have like, Stroman has been really well, or has done really well. Um, Taiwan Walker has been a great signing. And then in the bullpen, kind of bounce back years for Familia, Miguel Castro, Edwin Diaz is really like finally pitching how they, or up to the potential that they traded for. Um, And really just the pitching staff, aside from like one or two guys, has just been lights out every night. So, you know, just to be able to watch that has just been, you know, it's been a nice breath of fresh air after it was just kind of like offense centric the past couple of years with them. And then it just the injuries. Also, I know the Phillies have had tons of them also, and it's kind of just the theme of the division, but they've just iron mean, right now. You have Conforto and McNeil and Davis, um, Nimmo. They're all on the IL definitely more that I'm not thinking of, but It's just been huge to see like the bench players that we thought were just kind of washed up veterans like Jonathan VR, Kevin Pillar, um, uh, what's his name, Jose Peraza. They're just, uh, they've come up huge because we never expected anything out of them. And then they're forced into these roles like so quickly because people just started dropping down almost every day. And now they've just become like kind of the driving force of this team and now you're starting to see guys like Lindor and uh, McCann and Dom Smith who struggled through most of the year and they're starting to put it together so the Mets seem to be finally trending in the right direction and it's really really something that I'm excited about.
0: Yeah, The best part is that everybody in the division is playing horrible right now so it it really works out nicely that that's the main reason why I still feel like I I need to follow the Phillies because Mm -hmm the division is playing so poor despite all the expectations. Like, I don't know what it is off the top of my head, but at one point they were in like a really poor stretch and they were still like a game and a half behind first. And it's like, the it's just a, a really awkward place. And it just seems like every year the Phillies are always in an awkward place ever since ever since like Bryce Harper came, essentially. It's just mm-hmm. been it's an a- oddball of, you know, you see the places that they need work. And they just don't do, like, they do the bare minimum for it. Like, signing, like, Archie Bradley, like, okay, that that gives a bullpen boost that they desperately need, considering they were one of the worst the year beforehand, But, you know, he gets hurt. And when he plays, he's average at best. It's just like,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: what more can they do? And we always just sell our farm, farm system. So it's like, what else can we get?
1: Yeah, it's like, I think, what was it, the trade for Workman and Hembry last year. Oh, my God. And now they're like, (laughs) (laughs) where Pavetta is one of the best pitchers on the Red Sox, and (laughs) Workman just signed with the Red Sox again, so. Or it might have been Hembry either one, I don't know. I just know it was a disaster.
0: And then we gave up like a double A pitcher that wasn't half bad. Like he was actually like performing really, really well. Like he wasn't some throwaway prospect. Like, you know, he was a few years out, but he was still like legitimate. And Workman wasn't even that good when he came. Like, I mean, we, we missed the postseason yeah. that year.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I um, totally. Forgot and then about I that. just feel like, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, you're welcome for the reminder, but. Um, you know they just have so much talent in the lineup still, but it's like it, everyone in that lineup just can't seem to get it going at the same time, you know, with, there's, especially since they're finally starting to get healthy, um, I think in a couple of weeks you could really see them like turn around, guys finally starting to get back into their groove, but it's like even at the beginning of the year when you had, you know, Harper and Real Muto and Segura and, um... Hoskins in the same lineup and Gregorius and it's like there are just so many weapons and they just you know weren't really doing anything you know McCutchen got off to a cold start he started to look better recently so you know I think they could definitely make a push but um, I just think it's so tough with that um, with the bullpen they have and also um, the NL West is really like looking to be hogging up the wild card spots in the NL. Um, because you have the Giants just come out of nowhere and suddenly they're good again leading the division and everyone thought that race would be just strictly between the Padres and Dodgers so you know those are going to be three of the best teams in baseball and it's going to be extremely impossible or I mean extremely improbable for a team to come out of the central or the east and get one of those wild card spots because of that
0: That actually brought up a really good point that I was thinking about last year. Something that we forgot to mention of certain rules that they threw in was the expanded yep. playoffs. I feel like that's also something mm-hmm. that should have stayed, and they just pulled yeah. the ball on that one.
1: Yeah, I definitely liked it. Like it kind of piqued my interest because of, like you know anything could happen in them. I mean, how many people expected the Marlins to go in against the Cubs and like kind of sweep the three game series against them? But at the same time, it was, like, I think it kind of fit the year the same way. It's, like, the NHL did that also with an expanded postseason. I don't know if the NBA did also. Um, sort of, did they... yeah. Yeah, I know there was some kind of, like, play-in where you had to kind of yeah. get your spot mm-hmm. for the playoffs. And then they adapted something similar for, you know, a full season this year. But... Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I just think I think that could have stayed. Um, or I that it was a good decision to kind of, like, leave that with the COVID season and kind of just go back to something more traditional. But I feel like you could see it back down the road at some point, kind of with the DH. It seems like they just, Manfred has no idea, like, what direction he wants to head in in so many aspects of the game. And, I don't know. Like I said, baseball's a yeah, I think a I
0: saw that. Yeah. In terms of like percentage of teams within a league that make the postseason, baseball is one of the lowest, and that's certainly something that's kind of deflating for me because I think one year, it might have been my junior year of high school. The Oakland A's won like hundred games, and they were like a wild card team because Houston was the winner, and then they got like bounced in the wild card game, and that's just like you win hundred games, but like that's it. Mm-hmm. Like it, yeah. it just it just kind of seems like unfair, for. Like, you have to be super dominant or you're, you're nothing.
1: Yeah, I feel like I really like kind of the setup, um, except I just don't like that one-game playoff because of things like that that could happen. I feel like you know, um, a best-of-three series maybe would be better, just as just kind of... Or, um, you know, I was kind of thinking about different scenarios they could uh, go to in the future, kind of like how the nfl is you know expanding to one more team is allowed or is getting into the playoffs this year um just kind of have what the nba did with like the seven versus ten and the eight verse nine where it's like you know they let one more team in the playoffs and then they play one game and then you have a best of three between those or something like that um It's definitely complicated because, like I said, I feel like the format now of five teams getting in isn't too bad. But like you said, like, you know, a team could win 100 games and they have one bad game and they're done for the year. So, but then it could be like, I think, 20, yeah, 2018, the Nationals who just, or that might have been 2019, I don't know. But the Nationals who, you know, just kind of looked flat in the wild card game and then had one beginning, the Brewers kind of collapsed and now their season's over and the Nationals kind of took that momentum all the way to winning the World Series. So um I just think like, you know, every team getting into the MLB postseason right now is a good team. And you're not running into like in the NBA teams who are under five hundred getting into the playoffs or, you know, in the NFL, you're just like, it It can happen, but you're not really seeing, like, the sixth seed going all the way to the Super Bowl, so I just think, you know, I like the parity in the MLB where it's just like, you know, any one of those teams can take it, but, yeah, they're definitely, you know, it's not a big deal for me because I feel like, you know, just anything that, um, I don't know how to put it, but... You know, I feel like there are just so many different things that could work that I'd be happy with. So,
0: yeah, that's fair. The way the NBA does it is that the so at the end of the year, there's ten teams that play more basketball per se, and the seven and eight seed in each conference play each other, and then the nine and ten seed play each other in just one game. So, the winner of the seven and eight seed is the seventh seed and then the loser plays the winner of the eight and nine seed and the loser of that game is done and then the winner of those two the loser of the seven and eight and the winner of the eight and nine play each other in one game and then that team takes the eight seed so this was the first year they did gotcha. it in that format for the for the bubble they did it a little bit differently it, it was it was weird you had to be within a certain number of games but it doesn't matter So Mm -hmm. what actually ended up happening was because the Lakers struggled so much and the Warriors had injuries all year, we actually got to see LeBron and Steph play each other in a playing game, which is is weird considering they've they've played each other for years past in the finals. But Mm -hmm. it was nice because you saw, especially Steph Curry laid it all out on the line just to be able to make the postseason and, and get a chance. But on the other hand, There were the Indiana Pacers that had a lot of injuries throughout the year and that pushed them down to the playing game. And then they play in and then lose. So it's – and I think they were – I don't remember the exact order. I don't think they had a spot beforehand. But it's, it's just like, you know, kind of what you mentioned, like you have a bad game after doing all this immense success then like that's it yep sort of so it's 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 interesting I like how the NBA formats it because there's still six other teams that definitely make it and at the end of the day there will be eight but for the MLB I just it just seems like the standards are so high for a team and maybe that's just me coming from a Phillies fan who's seen mediocrity forever and then mm-hmm. just complete tanking before that yeah so i I think it just would be nice to be able to compete better especially because it seems like every year it's the braves who call up some random prospect who just shoots for the stars and has an incredible season and then that's how they make the postseason or whatever it just it just seems like the 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 margin is so small that it makes it impossible to get in and like it kind of just kills like views i guess because for mediocre teams who don't have that same reach like in the NBA that there's just obviously no point to watch if you're not going to have any sort of opportunity to compete.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I was just thinking about something to say and it just uh this this happens a lot with me. But <laughs> like I i thought of something. Um Oh yeah. Yeah, so it's like baseball has you know, they're just, it's just such a long season. They're playing basically every day. It's 162 games. So I feel like they have such a small postseason because they're such a large sample size, you know, like, you know, you know, who is good and who's not by the end of the year. You know, if you have injuries, you know, you have time to get back from that. Like kind of how the Mets and Phillies have kind of just been stumbling through the first couple of months because of their injuries. And it's like, you're, Looking at four more months of the season still, as the players are starting to return. So, I think that's kind of like the reasoning behind the small playoff field. But at the same time, I totally get what you're saying with the markets. It's like you're going to have better numbers in um in TV ratings because you have like say the postseason expands and you get the Yankees in. That's going to raise everything like by uh, huge numbers. And the same with the Mets, it's like they would have fallen, you know, or they've fallen just short a couple of years in a row. And if you have an expanded postseason that, well, they didn't make last year, but we're not going to talk about that. Uh, But like in 2019, they had a really good run, but kind of fell short. If you expand the postseason, then they're in. And again, you have another, you know, you have a New York market team going in and, you know, again, it's going to help the MLB with their ratings. So. That's definitely a great point. There's just a lot to consider. Um, But like I said, I think you're going to see it down the road probably in the the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, that's a good point that you bring up of the large sample size because it makes a lot of sense. And I'll ask this one last question unless you had some other thoughts on baseball, but this is just a fun question. Is it the most Phillies thing ever that Adubo Horeva returns after his suspension? Wins the center field job because everyone else is hot garbage and now is hitting leadoff? and actually doing good
1: um yeah yeah I'd have to say that fits right in um I was just I remember like I hadn't been following baseball too much in the first month of the season and like I watched the first time the Mets played the Phillies in the first couple of weeks and I was just you know kind of Mind blown that he was still on the Phillies after everything that (laughs) he went through. I'm like, how does this organization still employ this guy? But I mean, when you have, you're rolling out Scott Kingery and Ronan Quinn in center field, then, you know, you have to have an option, even if he has the shady past. So, you know, he's not even the the least ethical outfielder in the NL East anymore. So thanks, Marcelo (laughs) Zuna. It's
0: funny, I was just thinking about that. Yeah. (laughs)
1: He's, he's going to be screwed for a couple of years. And
0: <laughs> I think the bottom line is that he'll still get paid because they can't avoid his contract, so mm-hmm. yeah. I don't think he really cares, I guess.
1: Maybe. <laughs> it, it's still, it's so funny. I'm like, I still, every time I hear his name, I'm just like shocked he's still in the league, but I mean, it happened with like, you know, Chapman's back and Roberto Ozuna's back, and Reyes came back Robinson or not not canoe was steroids. I don't know what I'm saying, but you know it uh, Familia was the one I was thinking of like he's back after something like that so I just think it doesn't you know, obviously it's gonna follow a player around for the rest of their career, but um You know, it's kind of not difficult to get back in the league after that So I guess it's not that surprising but at the same time it's like Herrera just wasn't that good before he got suspended. Like, he kind of yeah. tailed off before that, so... Mm-hmm. I, I can't believe he's kind of... He's starting again. Especially, like, yeah, what is... McCutcheon plays left?
0: Yeah. Mm. What yeah. an
1: outfield that it's, is.
0: It's even... Well, for me, at least, I remember... I think they were playing the Braves, and Adam Hazley just tracked a ball horribly. Like, it bounced probably... 10 feet away from him. And uh, I think it led in a run. And that was the moment I realized I'm like, Herrera might, might actually come back. Like there were rumors about it. And I remember hearing people on sports radio talk about it they're like, this is just some sort of invitation just to give him the small chance. He's probably not gonna make it just yeah. because it's an open field, this and that. All, the, all these random reasons. And you know, I bought into it cause it made sense. Mm-hmm. And then just as soon as Hazley, who's probably the best hitter out of all of them, before Herrera started the streak, but when he tracked that ball just horribly, I I was like, I think it's gonna happen. Like it just it just makes sense. Like they need it because no one's doing anything. Roman Quinn's a pinch pinch runner at best, yep. and Kingery is just falling off the pace of the here mm-hmm. as hard as you possibly
1: can. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. What an outfield they have. It's like two former NLMVPs and Odubel Herrera. Um yeah, I think actually I think that Hazley thing was on Sunday night baseball, so it's like you're just you're looking or I think I might have been watching that game and I'm like um you know, you're in a national audience and you can't just catch a fly ball, so yeah. I think yeah, that was yeah. definitely a good sign that you know this guy shouldn't really be here um, um
0: and, uh, and actually one last other mm-hmm. fun question yeah. i thought of so i know it's been scrutinized for years that the cano and Diaz trade was garbage mm-hmm. because of all the prospects you gave up but now that what's his name jared Kelnick, uh, kelnick yep. that's how you pronounce the last name he's he's hitting like sub 100 yeah. or, are, are you really that upset about it anymore
1: um <laughs> It's hard to say because it's just, it's the beginning of his career. Um, yeah. You know, he still just has so much promise, but it's definitely alarming to have an over for 39 streak. It's like, that's kind of something that pitchers have, you know, not promising prospects. So I definitely think, um, you know, I'm not rooting against him. I think, you know, it's, it's impossible to root against anyone on the Mariners just because of how much suffering those fans have gone through. But Um, I've definitely kind of come to terms with the trade now that we're not paying Cano's salary because he's suspended and Diaz has just kind of turned into an electric closer again. So, you know, it, it seems like a necessary trade now because it just solidifies the back end of their bullpen. But at the same time, it's like, you know, giving up prospects like that is always hard, but it's so much more justifiable now that diaz isn't allowing a home run in every other outing
0: yeah that's true and it's funny because speaking of like young prospects struggling i actually wrote an article recently about the biggest sophomore slumps and i realized that when i finished writing i I think i wrote for five players i think it was ball mountcastle lewis sanchez and williams and i realized like that's practically that was the whole like rookie of the year running last year yeah and they're all, they're all just falling off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. And I think that's definitely a test of playing your first full season, but also just I think it plays along with the, the whole foreign substance thing. And it was just – it was interesting. I was looking up other stats, and it's like – I mean, maybe Mountcastle recently because he's hit like four home runs in five games or something like that. But it's like everyone else has just like fallen face flat. And Sanchez hasn't even pitched, and who knows what's going on with that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't. I haven't been, you know, following it that closely to know about that. But um, yeah, I just I remember. Yeah, Alec Boehm was going through that massive slump at the beginning of the year, and I dropped Mountain Castle after he just looked. Or I had him in fantasy, and he just looked so good last year. But you know, also it's like it's just so tough to get like a gauge on the rookie of the year or I mean the rookies from last year because that was like their full season or their first full season was a mess you know and it was just again such a small sample size you're only playing nine other teams so now you're starting to see you know like say you were in the central divisions which kind of struggled in the regular season and in the playoffs and like you're starting to get your first look at teams like the Dodgers and um, the Red Sox and the Mets and, you know, the Giants and the Padres for the first time in two years. So, and so for some people, the first time in their career. So it's definitely, there's just, there are so many, you know, storylines like that to take into account this year. Yeah, it's
0: a really good point. And we'll transition to hockey at this point because... Okay. I asked you this the other day about Shifley suspension, but I've heard a lot of mixed opinions. Mm -hmm. And part of that is just random comments on the internet. It's hard to tell whether they're joking or not, but I mean, I, I, some people gave a more in-depth perspective on it and it kind of made sense, but some people were saying that the, the hit is clean. Um, is there any sort of justification for that?
1: Not at all. Um, you know, he is trying to prevent a goal. And I understand that, but uh, Shifley was already, um, like, he was angered from something that happened a few minutes earlier where there was a scrum after the whistle, you know, two players going at it, as you see often in the playoffs, and they only called Shifley, and he was, like, incensed about that. So that kind of just, like, you know, he's a competitive guy. He's going to be, like, burning or, you know, kind of frustrated after that. And then he's trying to go out and make something happen. And as Evans is kind of wrapping around the net, he has a wide open net. Shifley charged from his own faceoff dot, which is roughly, he skated like 150, 160 feet to hit Evans, which is like, that's just textbook charging. You're yeah. not allowed to, you know, stride across two zones and lay a hit. You know, it's supposed to be, yeah you know, three strides are, is the... Um, the guide in the rule book and he took about like nine or ten so um it was definitely a charge and that's what they called that's what they suspended him for um you know it's it's a hard hit but you know it goes against the rule book. so you know it, there's just there is absolutely um no you know um justification to call a clean
0: yeah, some people were saying that because he was looking down, that made the hit harder, and mm-hmm. that that also makes sense because you're obviously if you're not looking for something or being aware of something, that when it happens, it's it's gonna hit you harder, and you know that made sense to me. Yeah. I did think it was clean from the start, but there were just different perspectives that you know wasn't entirely his fault. Like it wasn't like completely malice, I guess, because or for how hard it was, like there were other reasons why. It wasn't, and I think someone else said only, like, purposeful hits are, like, if you, you jump off the ground, and I don't, I don't think he did, if I'm remembering off the top of my head, or, or maybe he did, but not nearly as much, but...
1: Yeah, no. That might just be... Yeah, he energy. glided into the hit, um, but, you know, charging can happen from, or, I mean, there are, like, kind of different ways it can be called... You know, it can be called from, um, like, taking too many strides into, you know, kind of having too much speed going into a player, which was the case with Shifely, or it could be leaving your feet to throw a hit. Um, So, you know, uh, people might be confusing or might be confused with the rule. You know, it's mainly called for leaving your feet because you don't really see people but come from across like, the other end of the ice to throw a hit too often. Yeah. You know, it's just... They're not focusing on that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I think, yeah, that's definitely the case with Evans. You know, he's just focused on putting the puck into the empty net because, you know, aside from all the talk about the hit, it did seal the game. So it's like he did score, and that's what he was focused on. You know, he's just trying to win a playoff game for his team. So, you know, there are times that people can be unaware on the ice, and you're, like, kind of frustrated with them because like it it's something you learn from an early age of hockey is like you have to keep your head up you have to be aware of everyone on the ice but you know there are some times where i feel like you know that's just not the case there are things that are more important it's like you could take a hit if it means that you know you're putting away the first game of the playoff series and you're not expecting shifley to have or to be flying across the ice just to throw a hit on you um so I think there are just a bunch of different angles you could take. Um, but I think, you know, it's 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 a harsh suspension. But at the same time, um, yeah, you just can't throw hits like that. And especially since he had to be stretched off, it was the bad look. And I feel like the NHL just had to, you know, kind of do something major about it.
0: Yeah, that's fair. There was also someone else who got suspended eight games. Yeah, Nazem Kadri. Um, I didn't see a video on that hit,
1: uh, but that sounds... Yeah, basically, he just kind of, um, I don't it's hard to describe, but he got someone in the head, you know, it was just completely unnecessary, he was just going to take a shot, and Kodrick just kind of came from across the ice and elbowed him in the head, uh, trying to prevent the shot, but at the same time, it was like, you know, he was just reckless with where his... Uh, principal point of contact was on the hit yeah. so he just you know he got him good in the head and Kadri has a history of just kind of playing out of control this is the third time in his career that he's been suspended in the playoffs it happened two times when he played in oh, Toronto really? so um, he's like considered a repeat offender and that's why the suspension is longer than you would have seen with someone else if they had thrown that hit yeah. So they're just trying, you know, to, you know, they have, like, different levels of discipline. And since Kadri has been in trouble multiple times before, they're trying to really, you know, kind of send a message to him with the A-Games.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, they suspended Tom Wilson, what, 17? And
1: mm-hmm. that didn't work. Yeah, that'll it'll never change him. There's just something seriously wrong with him. But, um you know, and when you just, like, uh, the worst thing with him is, like, you know, if he's going to keep doing that, you have to keep lengthening the suspensions and maybe it'll finally, you know, uh, settle into his head that the way he plays is not okay. But it's, like, if he goes and pulls a player down by his hair and, you know, is, like, putting people down in a headlock, punching people's head when they're, like, you know, not looking at him. Like, I think he shoved Bushnievich's head into the ice which was what he did get fined for before that whole incident with panarin where he like you know, pulled him down and it could have been like seriously or it could have seriously hurt panarin mm-hmm. if um i feel like he didn't have you know kind of the cushion that he has with his hair uh, and then um, what else i'm trying to think there was something else that happened with him that um Drawing a blank on, but it's just it just happened too many times. I think he's been suspended four or five times at this point, and there just needs to be a point where the NHL is just like, you know, sits him down and says like, you need to stop this or else you're going to be done indefinitely. And when they fail to hold him accountable by just finding him when he could have seriously injured someone, it's like, you know. They, they're just... Uh, the player safety department is a mess right now.
0: Yeah. Especially with what happened in the very next game, mm-hmm. which kind of COVID set up because they played these two-game series. I mean, what, there were six or seven fights alone and I think over 100 penalty minutes combined. Yep.
1: Yeah. And you saw, like, I think, what was it? Three fights off the opening face-off. And yeah. then Wilson fought. And then you're looking at, like, guys like... Um, Ryan Strome and Carl Haglid, who just you will never see fight, are trying to, you know, send a message that, uh, you know, if you're not going to take accountability for the hits that the players are throwing in the league, then we're just going to do it ourselves. And I thought that was a great response by the Rangers. And, um, you know, that game is just the direct result of the NHL not being able to protect protect its players.
0: Has there ever been someone else who's been as aggressive and reckless as Wilson and just continues to do it? Because it'd be interesting to see, like, how far, like, will they actually go? Like, I feel like if he just doesn't stop, which it sounds like he never will because he just simply doesn't get it. Like, I feel like he could be suspended for an entire season if that really – if they felt that could really set the message. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Definitely during, like, the – late 90s early 2000s it was a more physical game so you had players who you know it was more common to see things like that happen and you know the suspensions back then were just kind of uh, kind of matched up with the play it's like you had a guy um uh, who played for the islanders it was a game against the rangers where he like threw a hit on someone and then like stepped on his uh, his wrist with his skate Jeez. and then there was Jeez. Yeah. um, there was another time where it was the same player he like hit a guy in the head with his stick like you know with a baseball swing and you know that those are the big suspensions that you're gonna see I'm looking it up right now uh, so let's see he was suspended 25 games for that uh, The the last one where he hit the guy in the head with his stick. And then, let's see. Oh, he got 30 games for stepping on. Oh, it was a guy from the Penguins. Um, oh my. And then it says, so the, yeah, the second longest suspension was a 41-game suspension to Rafi Torres in 2015. And that one, that was a guy who was like, you know, Wilson, where it's just like, there was nothing you could do to stop him. He was just always going to be that dirty player. And finally, they just had enough and gave him a half season. And you really didn't hear too much. But that was kind of at the tail end of his career. The damage had already been done at that point. And then uh, there was a one-year suspension to um, Marty McSorley, who did something similar to Simon, who like kind of just wound up his stick and smacked a player in the head with it. Um, so the, those are, you know, the type of suspensions where it's just like a player with a never ending history can get, but it's like, you know, if 30 games is the third largest suspension and Wilson hit, I think like, I think it was like 16 to 20 in that range. I forget exactly the amount. It might've been 17, like you said, but you know, you're going to see if he does something like egregiously bad, he's going to go into that territory
0: jeez the stepping on the wrist with your skate i mean if you don't have protection and that could cut off your hand yep i i remember seeing i don't know if it was an nhl player or not but someone like and it was like a complete freak accident like someone fell over and their leg flipping air, and they their blade like cut somebody's like face open and that was just completely like the worst odds you can possibly have. But like purposefully yeah. stepping on somebody's wrist. I mean I, I know that gloves do kind of cover the wrist. Mm-hmm. But I I mean they're, they're still there especially if your sleeves down, there could still be like any little bit where it's just like a long sleeve shirt and you could like cheese. You could
1: Okay, actually I'm thinking about it wrong. It was the it was the leg. So but it depend I it was it was a long time ago. It was like fourteen years ago and I was very young. But um, something, like, you know, there's no protection back there. Um, so, like, you know, if on the front of your skate you have, like, uh, a shin guard, but it, there's just there's nothing in the back. So that's just, like, you know, it's just so ridiculously uncalled for, especially for a player who has just suspended 25 games, like, you know, it was in the same calendar year those incidents were uh nine months apart from each other and he was suspended to combine 55 games from them so yeah it's definitely one of the more um gruesome ones
0: yeah you gotta get like mentally checked out Mm -hmm. for that like just i feel like there's to be a spectrum where like if you're doing acts like that and i'm sure they rarely it's to the point where it rarely happens that it's just yep. not worth creating something like that but like i feel like you have to get mentally checked checked out for that shit because like i mean you have like deadly things you could do i mean mm-hmm. like ice is probably one of the hardest things you could hit yourself on yeah. you have the thinnest blades on the bottom of your skate to Skate as fast as you can. That can cut anything like that. Yeah. Like I mean, like it doesn't. There's little resistance, and just you're you're holding a stick that you. I mean, that's probably the least likely you're, you're gonna get a serious injury from. But I mean, you could put a lot of effort into that, and you can cause some serious damage.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like I thought, kind of like a 30 games is kind of too like, uh, like lenient of a punishment for that because it's like it's just so much of you know it's like it's kind of oh you're using it as a weapon at that point like you know it's just something it's like using a nut or you know kind of chopping with a knife at someone's or at the back of someone's leg you know that's what it's comparable to so um yeah it was definitely one of the or it kind of it kind of summed up like the players that the islanders had in that decade but um yeah so we haven't seen wilson do too many things like that but at the same time it's like he's still putting players health at at risk
0: yeah and just being completely ignorant about mm-hmm. it in terms of general playoffs i mean i i, I haven't watched any of it but i've, yep. I've been following the scores Bruins Islanders is pretty is pretty neck and
1: neck. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a good series. Um, kind of, it's definitely been like they're two defensive minded teams with coaches who, you know, trying to kind of impose their their coaching style on the other team, and they don't like to make like you know too many adjustments to the other team. Like they kind of are in the mindset that their style is better and is going to prevail over time. So that's just like it's kind of, it's been a really defensive series, like no one wants to make the first mistake and the goaltending has been excellent. And um, I I have no idea who comes out of it. I think the winner of tomorrow's game is probably gonna win the series. So it's it's a huge game, but you know, you can't really count out a team. I could definitely see it going seven at the same time. Um, let's see.
0: Yeah, I think it definitely goes to seven, especially with how competitive yeah. all the seasons that, or this, all the series have been already. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just saw the Maple Leafs blow three-one lead. Yeah,
1: it's it's not even surprising at this point. Um, yeah, you're just looking at that that core has been together for I believe three playoff years now, or am I, no, it's four. So, and they have gone to seven games every time and have not been able to come out of the first round. So, you know, you are you have to, you know, you can't just put that roster on the ice next year and think, oh, this year will be different because they've been doing that for a few years now. They're like, oh, they're still a developing team. They're still young. But it's like, I think this is the year where it's like, you know, they were a division winner. They were up 3-1 against a team that they had kind of owned in the regular season and then, you know, they just collapsed. They their president said it perfectly that they just don't have players with a killer instinct. They just kind of felt comfortable. And the Canadians are just, a you know, kind of a pesky, scrappy team. That's, you know, not going to go down easily. And even though they were down 3-1, it's like they were just you could tell uh, that they, they didn't think they were out of the series for a second and the Leafs thought they had it won already. And by the time they were I think the Leafs losing three or game what was it game five lost them the series cause you go to Montreal for game six and um, well actually in game five the the Canadians had a three nothing lead. They blew that the Leafs came all the way back but then the Canadians won it in overtime. So the Leafs could have ended the series if they either showed up or scored in overtime, but it was an awful turnover in the first minute and lose game five. So now you go into game six, and it's the first game these players have played in front of fans in uh, like a year and a half. And so these you know, the Canadians are obviously gonna have a bunch of energy. They go up two nothing, and the Leafs again come back and force overtime and lose in overtime. So it's just, you know, they were in these games, they didn't come ready to play for them, they were able to kind of, you know, get even, but could never kind of get over that final push. You know, they were within a goal of winning that, um, of winning the series in overtime two games in a row. And then they just didn't show up for game seven. So I think like an interesting stat with them is they've lost like their last eight games when they could have clinched a series. Um, It's just, yeah, it's, I I have no idea like where they're going to go because like they just have, you know, $40 million put into four players. And when you have a salary cap of around like 85, there's just not really much else you can do. You're running into the same problems as the Oilers, too. It's like you have two elite, world-class players in McDavid and Dreisaitl that are making around, I think it's like 20 million, which is a fourth of the cap. And they have, like, you know, Nugent Hopkins and Clefbaum and Nurse are on big deals as well, and there's really just no room to sign depth on defense or on offense, and then they just haven't had steady goaltending. And you look at them and they get swept by Winnipeg when they were the higher seat. So I think Toronto and Edmonton, it's like, you know, on paper, you know, they have some of the best players in the world, but they're not, you know, they're not teams. They're just groups of individual players, but they're not well-constructed teams like Montreal and Winnipeg.
0: Yeah. And I was actually just about to ask, what what do you think the Maple Leafs need to do next? But you kind of answer your own question. But what I see is that, yeah. you know, you mentioned how much they have invested in four players. And let's say they choose to trade one, let's just say Tavares, because he's the oldest for whatever reason. And mm-hmm. for for other franchises looking at having interest, you know, not only are you going to have to give up a large haul because of his talent, but you're also taking on a lot of money as well, and yeah. that can be, I mean, franchise-altering, and it's I feel like there's not going to be a lot of interest just because of how much money that they have. I mean, he gets paid, like, close to eleven.
1: mm hmm Yeah, it's definitely, like... um, So, you know, to the listeners, I'm a huge Islander fan, and... This, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole saga with him leaving, but, you know, you're looking at the leaf situation right now, and it's like they haven't made it past the first round since he got there. You know, that's three straight playoff losses in the first three years of his contract, and I mean, obviously it's a different series if he doesn't get knocked out in game one, um, but, you know, you're it's like that $11 million contract on the Islanders, um, payroll like holds out like two or three players that are crucial to their team. You know, if Tavares is still there, there's no bringing in Jean Gabriel Pajot last year and there is no re-signing someone like Lee or re-signing Nelson or re-signing Eberle, one of those three players. So, um, I just think like, you know, I just, kind of you get the name brand with Tavares you know look we have John Tavares but it's like he's just kind of backed them into a corner because like you know you picked out the perfect player it's like he's the one that it's like he does they don't need him there they have Matthews they have Marner they have Nylander they have Hyman it's like um you just if you just sign like you know if they just kept Nazem Kadri, that's a perfect second line center as long as he doesn't get suspended in the playoffs, which is apparently impossible for him. So um, I just think, you know, it created a lot of hype around Toronto and it raised the expectations and it showed Leaf fans that they were going for it, but the signing just never really made sense for them. And, you know, it's going to be really hard to either, you know, keep those four players together and bring in depth for, you know, you're, you basically, you have, all right, you're probably losing Zach Hyman in Toronto because he's a UFA this year and he's really important to their team. I kind of compare him to Brendan Gallagher on Montreal who just got, I think six to 7 million. I forget the exact dollar amount. Yeah. Um, so I think he's pretty much gone. And just to replace Hyman is basically, you know, a really tough task for, you know you're gonna have to replace him with a player who makes the money Hyman makes now because there's really no, you know, wiggle room for their their contracts, and, uh, like, I'm just I'm so, I'm really interested to see how uh, um, Kyle Dubis is gonna handle their situation there because I have no idea what direction they're gonna head in.
0: Yeah, it seems like teams are being more built like the Islanders yep. where you have like one above average star mm-hmm. in Barzell and then sort of just players that fit, you know, they're not out of this world, but they do what they need to do and, and, they, and they get it done. And, you know, that's just kind of how it's built. You have that from top to bottom. So there's no real issue of needing depth and it's the same goes for the defense. You have, you know, even talented amount of guys, you know, give or take a little bit, just, you know, that's how depth works. But, mm-hmm. And then they bring in the new goaltender. I can't think of his name. Yeah. Varlamov.
1: Uh, so Varlamov was brought in as a free agent last season, um, and then Ilya Sorokin is the guy from this year. He's a rookie. He had played in Russia the past five or six years, and they drafted him about that long ago. So yeah, it's just. But I, and also, I think you're seeing right now is um, just kind of balanced goalie tandems too. You're not really like in Tampa is the perfect example of kind of what we've been seeing for a while or in uh, not even Montreal. Um, like in Tampa, you have Vasilevsky and, you know, McElhinney might play like, you know, 10 games out of 80 where you're just, you know, riding Vasilevsky the whole way because he's the best goalie in the world. And, you know, there's just no reason to start anyone else. But then you look at teams like Vegas, you have Flurry and Leonard. And then you look at the Islanders; they have Varlamov and Sorokin, and you know in Montreal they have Carey Price, but now they just brought on Jake Allen this year. It, that's another you know a strong kind of not even a backup; they're just kind of a fringe starter. And you're starting to see people look at goaltending depth. Uh, Carolina is another big one; they have uh, Peter Morazik and James Reimer. But then when Alex Nedeljkovic rose up with both, or with uh, Morazik injured. You know, you're looking at three strong goalies that they have. Um, So I think that's just a huge aspect that people really aren't focusing on right now. But you're really looking at, like, goaltending depth is becoming incredibly popular in the league. And I think the Islanders really started that. um, Or at least were one of the first teams that when Robin Leonard was brought in in 2018 and was in a tandem with Thomas Grace. And they kind of just, they alternated every game for most of the year. And it really showed, you know, you had two fresh goalies. So I think that really, you know, kind of set the, you know, it's kind of set up a, a working model for how to run a goalie system now.
0: Yeah. And that's something fairly new. Cause I mm-hmm. probably 2017 is when I like just started to follow hockey. I, I barely knew any of the names, but something that, you know, made sense was that, you have a good goalie then you have a backup it yeah. wasn't really two starters and i think it really started when i think vegas acquired lenore at the trade deadline and you know i was you know, skeptical of like what exactly is the point of this mm-hmm. you know Andre flurry is incredible why why do you need another starter because he was in chicago and he was playing really well but mm-hmm. when they started playing a couple of games before the season stopped you know it was it, it, they were their numbers were insane and it, it, it really clicked, and, you know, other teams started following. You know, I think Minnesota kind of did something like that a little bit. In the playoffs, they just rode with Cam Talbot, but I know they mm-hmm. had some other young guy come yeah, up. Yeah, they had it Cap- seems Cack like a and lot him. more teams. That's Yeah, that's the name. They had, you know, a lot more teams are following this idea of two starting goaltenders, except for Philadelphia, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But I mean, their problems are... All over the place. But over I
1: mean, even with them, it's like you have two goalies that could be starters. It's like, you know, Brian Elliott turned into a backup this year, but you saw him take a more elevated role because of Carter Hart's struggles. So, you know, they really kind of had a two-starter system this year. And you're just starting to see that. I feel like, you know, the elite goaltenders have kind of faded, and now you're just looking at, like, really solid goaltenders Um, Because there are a lot of good goalies in the league. I mean, a lot of these with our teams with two goalie systems, like, they work really well. Um, But you're starting to see, like, with the guys like Bobrovsky and Pekka and Devin Dubnik, Martin Jones, it's like these guys that used to be elite goalies are falling into these kind of split-time roles because they're just not as good as they used to be. And when you're thinking of elite goalies, you really can only consider guys like, um, uh, like Vasilevsky, like Connor Halibur, like Flurry, um, and it's like even you know Carey Price has played incredible in the playoffs, but he had a really bad regular season this year and also last year. So, I just think you know there's such a focus on good goaltending now, because you're really you know you just don't have that guy that can play 60 games and you know kind of be just the sole backstop on your team
0: yeah and i was i had a running list while you we were talking about a good goaltenders and i can only think of those two and maybe grubauer yep. in colorado but i think a lot of that comes from just the success of his team and not having so much pressure on him yeah because i feel like he was he was like a backup not too long ago when he was a the capitals when they won. yeah yeah
1: he was so actually he was the starter in the playoffs that year and they in the first round they lost games one and two to columbus because Braden holpe had struggled so much they started grubauer so when grubauer lost the first two games they put hopey back in and they went on a run and won the cup so it's like even that year it's like you're looking at you know a team that had two strong goalies And they really just, like, didn't have an idea of who to play. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But even in Colorado, it's like, you know, he's hurt this year, but Paolo Franco is kind of developing into that role. And and, um, in Vancouver, it's the same thing. It's like thinking of Pulpy, you know, he's in a split-time role with Thatcher Demko. I just think it's an interesting trend that it's starting to go into.
0: Yeah. And I guess that kind of transitions into my next question. And who do you think will win it all with all that's already happened? And do you think having that split role will be a big reason why?
1: Um, I feel like it could make an impact. Like say if, you know, say if Vegas wins the cup, um, but even it's like with them, it's like they started Leonard game one against Colorado and he allows seven goals, so it goes right back to Flurry, and I don't think Leonard's going to see the ice again this in the playoffs. But then you know you look at the Islanders and they've been relying on both of their goalies. Um, Var- or Sorokin started game one because Varlamov was banged up. He won. They get kind of their, you know, a Varlamov had kind of been favored as Trotz's goalie uh, throughout the year. So Varlamov comes back and loses games two and three. So they bring Sorokin back in, and he wins three straight and wins the series. So they use two goalies. Um, and then, so you know, so Sorokin starts in Boston because he was right hot, loses the first game, they go right back to Varlamov, and now he's been, or he's two and one since then. So they've kind of just been trying to find the hot hand and you've seen that in um, Carolina, Nadilkovich played the entire series against Nashville, had a tough couple of games against Tampa, and then they switched over to Morazic. You saw it with Florida, with Bobrovsky started a couple games. He struggled, so then they went to um, Drieger, started a game, and then he struggled, and then they went to back to Bobrovsky, who was bad. So then they finally, for games five and six, went to Spencer Knight. It's like that's a team running three goalies in the playoffs. So I feel like you could definitely see something like that happening. However, like you mentioned with Grubauer, I think he's going to be winning his second cup in Colorado because that team, you just watch them, they're just the perfect team. There's just so much speed, so much skill. They play good defense. You know, they, Grubauer has definitely had a strong year. It's like he doesn't get that much action because Colorado's out shooting the other team it seems like they're doubling the other team up in shots every night it's like 40 to 20 every game so um you know Grubar is not under too much stress back there and I feel like he's been able to have such a good year because of that and you know you just have players like McKinnon and Landis Gog and Renton and McCarr and Burakovsky and Don it's like there's just it never ends with them and I just think it's like With the way they played against St. Louis. St. Louis never had a chance. They just came out uh, against Vegas and, you know, ran them out of the building in game one. Tough game two, but they still took it in overtime. Um, You know, and this is against, like, kind of another powerhouse. And they just go out and win 7 1 in game one. So um, I think you're going to be seeing, you know, kind of. Colorado dominating the rest of the series and I kind of expected Vegas to take one but Just the way they play when you watch them. You're just blown away with how much speed they have. It's almost impossible to stop McKinnon Um, So I think I'm gonna you know, I'm I try not to make like a trendy decision, but um, I'm gonna have to go with Colorado like a lot of other people
0: Yeah, I think it's hard to to bet against them, and it's funny because when I was big into to early NHL games throughout high school, just trying to learn names and stuff. Colorado was one of my favorite teams to play with, and the one thing I always noticed was that you know they have their their big three, well, one of the best in the league, but their depth was terrible up until now, where it feels like they're bringing in a lot more people. Like they traded for Burkovsky, and they traded away Tyson Berry for a defenseman that actually seemed to work and car has been insane they actually have a legitimate goaltender who i mean you can kind of make the argument that he is you can also make the argument that you know he's being leaned off a little bit which i mean either way it doesn't matter it's working they were the best team in the regular season and they just 7-1 against the knights who have been one of the favorites for years yeah it's it's insane i that's that's my pick uh kind of going with the trend because i just Mm -hmm. isn't really anybody else doing it i mean the landing looked phenomenal as i don't remember the seed but they they were like a bottom seed like a lower seed like like whatever they call it totally blanking wait what team The, the the lightning oh
1: tampa yeah yeah so they were the three seed um but they were kind of resting people down the stretch, so they kind of lost mm-hmm. the position. They could have been a two, but it really doesn't matter because they're playing against Carolina, who won the division pretty easily anyway. Um, but with you know, you also have to take into account that they got Kucherov back, and now they're kind of back to yeah. full health. Um, don't get me started on that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, basically, they're playing like because of. The, the way the NHL rules are set up, they're playing like $17 million over the salary cap because it disappears Jeez. in the playoffs. And, you know, they're just, they were able to make these moves and because they had Kucherov stashed on long-term injured reserve. And it's like, you know, suddenly he's healed for the playoffs. And, you know, he came out and had a great series against Florida. So, you know, I just think, you know, you're never going to, count out Tampa. They just have so much skill on that roster.
0: Yeah, I mean, they won it all in the bubble pretty. Yeah. I don't want to say it was like easy, but it 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 wasn't pretty.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, They only yeah, they they never went to a game seven. They won their first two series in five. The Islanders took them into double overtime of game six. Um, They played them the toughest, but still, it was like you could just kind of see that, you know, it's just so tough to slow down because of how much, you know, again, it's like they have a perfect balance of stars and depth and defense and a great goaltender and team-friendly contracts, which is something that kind of gets overlooked, but I feel like it's just such an important part of keeping teams like that together. Um, But, yeah, because with you know, kind of the, the cap issue that they're in this year, the contracts that they're on are still um, kind of, yeah, I feel like they don't really capture, like, as, like, what the player does, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like Hedman yeah. just brings so much to their defense core. He's just so good in both ends of the ice. And, you know, Vasilevsky, it's like, yeah, he's... Not one of the, I think he might be third in goaltender pay, but it's like he's just, you know, he keeps you in every game he's in. And then you have, I think, Braden Point is one of the most underrated players in the league. It's like, even though you know he's good, you don't understand, like, how good he is until you watch him. And there's just so much hype surrounding Stamkos and Kucherov because they've just been good for so long, but I think Point is the best out of the three. Um, and I think once they get, I, I'm pretty sure that Tyler Johnson is going to get dumped off to Seattle next year. They were trying to, you know, they put him on waivers and were trying to trade him, but no one wants to take on his contract. So once that's (laughs) off the books, you're going to see, you know, Tampa kind of right the ship with that, the contract situation that they're in. Um, But yeah, it's like that team is just, uh, that's, that's going to be a tough one to knock off also. And I think you could very easily see a Tampa-Colorado-Stanley Cup final.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
1: But I think... One oh, question. Yep. Okay. Go ahead. No, you can go Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Montreal also is a team to keep an eye on. Um, I know they were on the brink of elimination against Toronto. It didn't seem like they were, you know, they had that much skill. It seemed more of like a Toronto collapse than Montreal deserved to win but uh, they're really showing me something with how they're playing against Winnipeg. Uh, Winnipeg was you know I, as good as Edmonton is I feel like Winnipeg was kind of viewed as the second best team in the division just because they're they have more of a complete team uh, even if their defense is kind of iffy but I feel like they're you know a better team than Edmonton because Edmonton just centers around three players you're just looking at, You know, if you can shut down McDavid and Dreisaitl like Winnipeg did, you know, there's really nothing else you could do. And that there are no other players who or who threaten me at all on Edmonton. So, um, you know, Winnipeg, I I think of them highly. And just to see Montreal has just picked them apart. Um, So I think, yeah, with goaltending, I'm actually going to check the score they're playing right now. It was 2 nothing the last time I checked. It's like, it's just going to be so difficult to beat Carey Price right now. He's just gotten, when he's in a rhythm, you know, it, we've just seen it time in, or, yeah, time in, time out. Um, but, you know, when Price gets going, he's just so tough to beat. I think you have in 2014 when the Rangers lost to the Kings in the Stanley Cup Final. You know, it could have been a different path if price didn't get knocked out of the eastern conference finals in game one and i'm just really hoping that he can get a chance to play in the stanley cup final for once because i feel like you know he's not there anymore but he was the best goalie in the world for a few years and i just feel like you yeah. know he kind of you know you can never count him out so i feel like montreal will kind of be my sleeper pick just because they have like a team or you have young guys like Suzuki and Caulfield and uh, Peach, or uh, Peach is not young, but I I always consider him to be. It's one of those players where, like, you know, he's been around for, or he hasn't been around that long, even though he's on the older side. Um, but uh, Kotkaniemi is the other one I was thinking of. But then they also have, you know, guys like Corey Perry and Eric Stall and Shea Weber, who are just, you know, they kind of, brings so much experience to the table, which is just so valuable in the playoffs. I just think they're a well-constructed team, and, you know, I love guys like Brendan Gallagher and um, Josh Anderson, I think, you know, and that's, they're playing right now without Tatar and Druan, who are two of their biggest offensive threats. So, um, I don't know, I'm just really rooting for them to, you know, bring one, or for a Price to get a cup. And I just think, you know, they just have so many likable players on that team. So yeah,
0: and they can ride with all the momentum after beating Maple believe exactly one, but the big thing that I've kind of noticed, which is why I'm a huge fan of the NHL is that, you know, I spent a lot of time looking at player movement and stuff mm-hmm. like that and seeing tr- teams that are trending up and trending down. Like, montreal gave josh anderson what like seven million a year and i i think i remember texting him like is this guy even worth seven million Mm -hmm. because i remember him in in shell and i'm like he's all right he's like like an 81 overall (laughs) yeah he's like not worth seven million dollars like that's what you pay someone in like the range of like an 85 to an 87 and it's obviously just not that but it seems like like it doesn't even matter like it like player it's, it's more surrounded like in culture and what you can build in-house with what you have rather than like names coming in and out if that makes more sense like it, it seems like whenever you enter a new team like certainly there's name value and there's name history to you but at the end of the day it doesn't matter because it's always going to be something different like the wild i'd say are another good example like it seems like they've always trade away a ton of veterans for young players, but those new players come in and they're just completely different. Like uh, Fiala, is that his name? Yeah. yeah. And he was traded for Grantland mm-hmm. who was more like, it seemed like the Wad were selling, but now it looks like they're kind of better off yeah. than Nashville. And
1: then you saw something, you know, those teams kind of have made small deals like that. Um another one before this season, you saw it kinda go the opposite way where Nashville traded Nick Benino to Minnesota for um Luke Cunning straight up. And it's like Cunning's a younger player, but they uh Minnesota wants to bring kind of like veteran experience. Nashville is kind of in a sort of rebuild, but at the same time we don't know really what their plan is. So, um Yeah it, it's definitely yeah, it's it's confusing it's like because in hockey like the points don't tell the story it's like you could look at josh anderson and he might have had like 30 or something points last year or i mean not he was out for all of last year but i mean like the last season he played and but you know they're also paying for like leadership and the heart they can bring in it's like they might pay a guy for like you know, his checking goal or his, you know, how many hits and block shots he'll play. Like, they'll pay a guy for defense. It's, like, it's really unique in, like, contract structure because, like, for Anderson's skill alone, you'd probably pay him, like, something like three, three and a half. But he just brings so much other stuff that doesn't show up, like, on the score sheet. So, you know, that's why you're going to see contracts like that. That's why Gallagher got paid more than you would have expected him to. And, um... Like I mentioned with Toronto, it's like the same thing's going to happen with Zach Hyman. It's like that guy, when you watch him, it's just like he just means so much more to the team than you could ever explain in points. And I feel like it's the same with uh, jean Gabriel Pagel and the Islanders. So, um, you know, it's like I, I just find stuff like that interesting. And you know, that was definitely a good thing to bring up.
0: Yeah. And point came in my head. Uh, when I was getting into hockey, the one way I did it was through just like auto drafting fantasy teams and just learning names and tracking progress. But the only thing that would count were goals and assists. And that's it. Like even like saves for goalies, like it was like ESPN standard used to just have it where it was wins and goals scored against. And that's it. Like not like no points for saves, hits, block shots, plus, minus, none of it. So I I became so fixated on just goals, assists, mm-hmm. and wins yeah. and whatever your goals against averages. And that was it. Like so when I'd see players get paid, like Josh Anderson, perfect example, paid so much money for just like when you look at the like the point value, like what you said around thirty, like I question that because that just doesn't seem right to how contracts are scaled in NHL, which is how I learned, like, the other half of that in terms of, you know, how much does a player like this worth, stuff like that. But it's actually what I really like about doing your fantasy league is because you include all that, Mm -hmm. and I'm able to track it a lot better. Like, there are certain defensemen that all they do is get hits and block shots, and and it adds up sometimes nearly as much as another defenseman getting an assist. Like, I've seen that, and I'm able to kind of, understand that defensive value a lot more because i remember writing an article for semi-pro for the the like play and preview or or Mm -hmm. however they formatted their playoffs and i remember like also looking at defensive stats and understanding like player archetypes i guess and and understanding how different people play in hockey because you know i watch the games but sometimes it's hard because i've never i've ice skated once Mm -hmm. let alone Play hockey in general, yeah. so it's it's interesting trying to catch on.
1: All right. Um. So just try naming like you know five NHL defensemen:
0: Petrangelo, Adam Fox, Victor Hedman, Ivan Provorov, Seth Jones.
1: Okay. So, this is the problem I have with NHL defensemen. Points mean nothing to me. Out of the five guys you named, I'd say three play good defense, and that's Fox, Hedman, and um, whoever, Provorov. But it's like, you watch Petrangelo and Seth Jones, and they are terrible defensemen. But it's just, like, the position they've always played But they just play with such an offensive mind, it's a liability in the defensive zone. And as someone, like, I played defense my whole life, so it drives me insane when players play like this. But you just look at, like, some of the other big names in the league, uh, like Eric Carlson and John Carlson and um, Brent Burns. They're just, they're terrible defensively. And uh, Keith Yandel's another one. And you started to see like you know Quenville just like started to hold him accountable, and he got scratched in the playoffs. Finally, um, it's just like you know points. You just have to throw all of that out the window with defense. And you know there are some analytics that describe it, but I'm not a huge analytics fan because it's like there's just there's nothing compared to what like kind of the eye can tell you. And if you just like watch yeah. these players, you know you'll you'll understand like how you know, who is a good defenseman and who's not. Because it's like, you know, Petrangelo might be one of the best point-producing defensemen in the league, but it's like, I feel like it doesn't really, um, you know, it's not really much of an upside when he cannot play in his own zone. And, you know, Vegas is allowing goals when he's on the ice. And it's like, it's he's not as bad as, like, you know, Seth Jones, where it's like when... You know, it can kind of be hidden when he's with someone like Wierenski or with someone like Gavrikov. But it's like when they're kind of a collapsing team like they were this year after a couple of good years in the playoffs, it's like guys like Jones start to get exposed. And you know, none of this is paid attention to because he'll put up 50 points. You know, where it's like they... Uh, I think Yandel's a good example because it's like there was just such... You know an uproar when he was going to get scratched you know he has one of the longest like consecutive game streaks in nhl history i think it's like third all time now and it's like people thought it was disrespectful to scratch him and end that but it's like you know quenville is trying to win games he's not trying to uh you know keith Yandel's iron man streak should not be why he keeps him in the lineup he should keep him in the lineup because he's a good defenseman and it's like Yandel, i had him on my fantasy team this year Because he's a good fantasy asset. The same with Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes is another one I can't stand. But it's like, at the same time, it's like you watch them and they're like, you know, a minus 10, a minus 20. They're like, uh, they're on the ice all the time for goals against. And it's just, it's not worth having a guy who can put up 40 points, but also, you know, can't keep the puck out of his own net. And I've just kind of reached a boiling point with offensive defensemen at this point
0: yeah that's fair and i've kind of caught on to that too especially with quinn hughes was a perfect yeah. example where like i look at how many assists he racks up and i'm like wow he kind of knows what he's doing but then i also look at you know total hits and block shots mm-hmm. and you know his plus minus and it's it's subpar compared to everyone else yeah. so it's like yeah huh, that's interesting like he was he was one of the first defensemen where like i could tell like right off the bat like yeah he's definitely more offensive minded mm-hmm.
1: And I think also just from watching, you know, mostly the Islanders, they just have like such a defensive system. It's like it's hard to identify, you know, kind of that standout defenseman on their team for someone who's just like a casual fan and doesn't watch every game. And um, like someone like, you know, Quinn Hughes jumps out because of how many points he has. But, you know, no, if people just kind of like turn a blind eye to the fact that he can't play defense and that's like defenses in his position or his position name. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely something that it's like, you know, if you're just getting into it, it's, it's understandable, but it's like, you know, I'm glad you're starting to pick up on that um, because it's definitely something that's, I feel like starting to become a problem in the game. Um, and you're not going to see like teams like that, you know, with, Morgan Riley and Eric Carlson and, um, uh, there's just another, like Yandel. It's like, you know, teams who are relying on those guys to play big minutes are not going to go far where it's like, you know, look at the teams who are r- around right now. It's like, you have their big minute guys are like, you have Theodore and McCarr and, um, Petrie and Morrissey, you know, guys like that, that are just, you know, none of those guys are huge point producers but they're just, you know, uh, other, than, other than McCarr, but I think McCarr, yeah. Hedman, they're like two of the best defensemen in the league. Um, so I just think uh, Charlie McAvoy is another one. He's just been so tough to play against for the Islanders because he's just, you know, he's he's an elite defenseman, but he's not one of the ones that's considered one of the best because he doesn't put points up. Yeah. And that's what I think, you know, in fantasy it's easy to find you know got our defensemen like you know the guys who are you know gonna rack up a bunch of assists but at the same time it's like when you're watching from a fan's perspective it's definitely tough to kind of learn about you know like kind of tendencies like that
0: yeah and i feel like that's definitely seen a lot with the flyers mm-hmm. cuz like niskanen <laughs> retires and incredible defenseman yeah. You know, his, his loss was a, a lot bigger than at the time he actually retired. And then you bring in a guy like Gustafson who only <laughs> seems to focus on offense. Yep, exactly. And that was something I, I also caught on from the yeah. start. And, you know, it clearly didn't work. And they didn't really bring in anybody else to kind of replace that defensive-minded defensive blue liner mm-hmm. that they've had. Because, you know, Simeon doesn't do it. Myers is still too young to kind of figure out, and he, hes just oh, he needs to change entirely. He's just—he's slow. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and Goss spare
1: Bears just—he—he's gone. Yeah. Um, yeah, they definitely—I—I had, they're just one of those teams that they're gonna have a real interesting off season because I have like I think Gossage Bears definitely gone, but you know I just I really think they you know. It's been a short tenure, but I think Av has already, you know, kind of overstayed his welcome there. It's like he's kind of like lost the team. I feel like, and you saw that with them. It's like, I, you know, they were a good team last year. I mean, they were in Game Seven against the Islanders, and yeah, you know, they were what? I mean, they got shut out in Game Seven, but you know, they were in the series the whole way, um, and they definitely had a chance to win it. And then how do you turn that in the second round? into what they had this year. And it's like, I feel like as bad as it sounds, that the two losses against the Rangers, the nine nothing loss and then the eight three loss, and then also the the loss against the Sabres breaking their ridiculously long uh losing streak, it kind of just kinda of called attention to how bad they are and how much they need a shake up. Where it's like, you know, if you have just a mediocre season without those embarrassing losses. It's like nothing's going to change probably. They're probably going to say, okay, we believe in this core. We're going to go another year. And um, you know, there's really just every aspect of the Flyers is called into question because of those three games. You know, it really brought attention to how bad Carter Hart is. You know, how Elliot's kind of regressed. Um, I think, like, in that Ranger game, the nine nothing game, Sanheim and Myers were on the ice for seven of the goals. Um, so, and the you know they were promising defensemen. They were viewed as promising defensemen the year before. One game changed all of that because it really brought attention to you know that this really isn't the case anymore. You know, it kind of you know Flowers fans might know this, but now there is a national audience that you know is aware of how much the Flyers need to change right now.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting that it wasn't even that many moves in general that they changed. Yeah. I mean, it was generally the same roster. Certainly they lost like, you know, a couple of fourth liners. was honestly, just I such
1: think, a huge loss.
0: Yeah. And even I think there needs to be much more credit due to, I'm trying to remember the names that the deadline acquisition, I mean, those, uh, those guys I were hustlers. Work, right. Like he, yeah, he was, but not wasn't the name I okay. was thinking. I think his name was Derek Grant. Yeah, yep, he was there. And then he was huge. Yeah. And someone with the last name Nate Thompson. Those mm-hmm. guys were insane. I loved watching them because they were just always pounding. They were just physical the entire time. Like points did not matter to them one bit, and and it allowed everyone else to do their thing. It was just not the same this year because you get guys like Nolan Patrick, who's beyond washed, and, you know, there, there's no, like, other than Couturier and Progrop, I feel like there was not a ton of defense mm-hmm. in general. Yeah,
1: I mean, you're looking at, you know, even the Stars, it's like, you need every single player to be committed to playing defense, you know, you can't have one guy take that off, because they, you know, teams are just gonna know to expose them, and you're gonna, like, with the Islanders, the uh, you know i have the most knowledge about them so i'm going to talk about them um in 2018 which was you know doug Weight was the coach of the team barzell had 85 points in his rookie year um he just you know the rest of the team i think andrews lee had 40 goals you know tavares put up something like 70 something um nelson and everly had great offensive years they have not matched that those numbers are like really come close to matching those numbers under trots, but they win under trots. So it's like, it's kind of like they will, the Islanders kind of that they're centered around this philosophy that you're sacrificing points and goals and stat padding, but you're going to win games because everyone is committed to team defense. And I think that's kind of what the flowers need to, um, adapt because like you know you have guys like connect and Hayes and Patrick it's like Goss despair also those guys should not be spending time in the press box but it's because they're not buying into the system that Vigneault is trying to play and you know I think all oh, those guys got scratched at one point and I think Voracek has been under scrutiny a lot because he hasn't played a strong defense or he doesn't play defense at all and um, yeah i i just think that they're in trouble because it might have just been you know a flash in the pan that one year or last year in the bubble
0: yeah and the peak was when they won the first seed after they did the round robin yeah i thought holy shit like they were good enough like they were in the you know postseason bubble but i mean when they won all three games in round robin i'm like holy shit Mm -hmm. like they could go all the way and you know they lost in seven and and you know going into the next season I'm like you know not a ton has changed I think they can still do yeah. it but that was when it was really eye-opening to play styles especially at defenseman because I remember watching that first game when I watched Guptas and he's he still had two assists I think mm-hmm. but he was not anywhere near what I thought he would be in terms of filling the role of Niskanen as just uh you know a decent defenseman but not investing so much money into a star like Petrangelo, but I was just all wrong and he didn't even stay the whole season. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And like, that's just uh, like, that's what I mean. It's like, you know, I'm sure you saw like from his year or his good year in Chicago, it's like, you remember the name Gustafson because he was one of like the big waiver wire acquisitions when he kind of burst on the scene. So, you know, you recognize the name you're like, okay, we're getting a good defenseman. And then you watch him, and it's like, oh, this guy can't play defense at all. Um, So that's like, and I think Gosta Spar is the same exact thing. So I don't, I have no idea what they're gonna do because I'm not sold on really any big forward except for Couturier, and maybe Joel Faraby, too. But
0: yeah, and it's actually funny because. You mentioned fantasy, and I think it's the same reason I have—it's the same problem I have in baseball too, in terms of just fielders who can actually play defense or good de- catchers who could play defense. Like, I can't think of anyone who's really out of this world in terms of like picking golden glovers and stuff like that because that's just something that's not counted in fantasy. Yep. That was, you know, I got into baseball the same way I got into hockey, it was just mm-hmm. auto drafting like fantasy teams and just going based off of offensive numbers but you know there's not a lot of i think the only like legitimate like defensive shortstop i can think of off the top of my head is uh he just signed with the twins
1: and jelson simmons
0: yes and the reason i realized that was because i saw how much he got paid and the caption that you know all sports news had written for him was like generally like defensive minor like was the reason he got paid i'm like Wow, that make that makes a lot of sense, like why he got paid so much. Mm -hmm. Because I remember in fantasy he was average at best, you know, maybe owned in sixty percent of the leagues just as a below average hitting shortstop, but you know, defensively he was through the roof and I would have never figured that out and I, you know, now realize that I have that exact same problem in baseball too.
1: Yeah, and it's just like yeah, I'm I'm like I'm the same way in baseball. It's like when people win gold gloves, I'm like I don't even recognize half the names at this point. 'Cause I just pay attention so little. Um, but you know, it's just you just get it from watching as much as you possibly can. And I know it's hard because you just have like so much else to pay attention to between like, you know, obviously, you know, actually living a life and um school yeah. and like a life outside of sports, who who has that? Um, but then with like school and just other stuff, um, it's just it's hard to like, you know, sit down and watch, you know, let alone your own team, but like watch other teams around the league to try to like get a, a grasp on how, you know, how the players play, you know, like their individual games. Um, mm-hmm. So I just think from like years of watching these players, it's like I've just kind of been able to pick up on that. And I feel like that's why I do so well in fantasy. It's because, like, I know who can succeed in, like, what situation. Um, But, you know, at the same time, it's like, you know, you can just never really predict what's going to happen. You know, guys are just going to – it's just the same – the same thing every year. It's like these same guys are just, you know, everyone's going to produce. Like, how you, you know – Above you you pick third overall. So, you know, McKinnon and Drysaw go above McDavid and you're picking McDavid knowing, okay, you know, I have arguably the best player in the league at number three. And then but then I'm thinking of just off the top of my head, it's like, you know, picking up guys like um Jason Robertson who was a big pickup for me. Um He was huge. Yeah, I had yeah. just out of nowhere. It's like I just I had but so he came onto my radar because I went to a Panthers game. It's near the school where I go to and I'm like, okay, this guy has the potential to just be really good. So I just, you know, had kind of seen his stats. And I'm like, okay, he scored points in like, you know, five straight games. So I just picked him up and like, he just never slowed down from that point. And it was kind of before the trend on him started. Um and, like, yeah, you know, there are other guys, like, you know, I'm a big Mangiapani fan. I know we kind of, like, traded him on our teams through ads and drops. So, um, but I'm, I'm just curious, like, how much do you follow, like, those articles, you know, suggesting, like, who to pick up, who to give up on?
0: So, in hockey, a lot more mm-hmm. because I get paid to write it for every other sport. Okay. So, that's, I'm way more invested into following those kind of trends. But mainly the, actually for for this year in particular, because I had like a lot going on, the big thing that I focused on was looking. So the way it was, my game plan was pretty simple and and I, I think it worked to a good extent. I filtered it to the last seven or 15 days, looked at who had the most amount of points in those days, not average points.
1: And i just i just
0: looked for anyone who had like a three game point streak and that and i just ran with that for the entire season obviously that formula doesn't work all the time yeah. and you know i just sort through players like like if someone had a hat trick like their average or like their total points would be so high just because that one game yeah. made them look so good and then you look and then it's like zeros across the board for everything else but i mean i you know look at my team yeah, just I mean, like there are definitely some names who who lasted the whole year just, just based on stuff like that. Uh the kid in Nashville. Uh
1: uh Ely tolvenin Yes. Yep.
0: Yeah. Uh who else? Favala was one of them. He just he just kept going, never came back down. I ended up dropping most of them. Like
1: Drake Batherson, I know it was a big one for a couple weeks. Yes.
0: Yes. I, I, he had like two goals and I'm like screw it I'll, I'll take uh-huh. it I, I got open I got open spots and then he just just kept going and I'm like oh my god Connor Brown
1: yeah.
0: sa- same situation probably had like two goals and I'm like screw it I'll just add him yep. like, you know, back to back games struggling. and
1: then he goes like sets the record for most goals in a can cons- like you know most games with a goal in Senators history um I think you know you were um a huge reliant on like devil's depth players because like you know they just had so many rotating pieces in their lineup it's like you're just okay today's or right today's trending player is Jesper Brad okay now it's um Igor Sharongovich all right now it's Yanni Koukin and it's like you know that's just you just have to like kind of know team situations and I I definitely saw with like with your pickups you're definitely starting to like you know kind of pick up on things like that it's like kind of understanding like you know jersey doesn't really have that go-to guy so there are going to be guys on hot and cold streaks
0: yeah especially for them i felt like i was picking up so many of their players just because you know their lineups always changing Mm -hmm. just based on who's really producing the most And at the end of the year it seemed like everyone clicked i remember they beat the flyers a majority of those games and that was when it really hit rock bottom when, when you're losing to the team with no fan base essentially and just getting smashed in those games but yeah i remember i had jack hughes at one point mm-hmm. i mean there were i think i had probably the most pickups throughout the whole season what was the number Seven, Oh my god 78 i made <laughs> 78 acquisitions zero trades <laughs> just picking up Oh, so, so many players. And I mean it worked. I, I, I got second place which which I won't complain about. Uh-huh. But yeah. Andrew Cobb was another one oh, yeah. who had a really exactly. good Exactly. I think he uh-huh. had
1: yeah, he had a hat trick, so you picked him up and then you know or no, he had the four goal game. And then, you know, it just kind of went I out. had him for the four goal oh, oh, game, yeah. I think.
0: Yeah, but I, I think that was like one of the best ones in terms of like just the ceiling they hit. Yeah. I remember he probably had like a three game assist streak or something like that and i thought screw it Mm -hmm. he's looking consistent that that was the that's the big thing for fantasy that i like just across the board in terms of just looking at players to pick up is just being consistent i i am not a fan of one bit especially in hockey because it's really easy to see when some random third line whoever gets a hat trick and you know that's all that's their season highlight and that's it i I've, i've probably seen that It felt like a lot i mean i know hat tricks aren't too often in the nhl but it it was a it was a ton when i just saw somebody i'm like oh not picking them up or even just like two goal games or two assist games and and nothing else like it it, i specifically looked for just streaks Mm -hmm. like of multiple games where you had one or more like that like that was my game plan just the entire time yeah
1: because sometimes a player can like you know kind of gain confidence from getting say a goal and like you know, kind of back-to-back games, and then they start to pick it up, and, you know, you get streaks like Connor Brown, where he scores, you know, eight games in a row. And I think, like, uh, another big one for me was when I picked up Sam Bennett. And sadly, I picked him up, like, during um, when I was on the first-round bye, but he was, like, as soon as he got traded to Florida, he just took off. Yeah, I'm looking at, like, a graph right now, he was sitting around like sixty points when he got traded, and he finished the season with one hundred seventy seven. So, jeez. Yeah, like that. Just as soon as he got to Florida, he just skyrocketed. Um. Yeah. But yeah, it's just it's just such an interesting strategy, to R for hockey. Um.
0: Yeah. That that was definitely the one where I spent a lot of time reading, like who to pick up. I was always following the the links you sent me and who and who was playing in what line. Yeah. and this and this and that. Like there, I I put in a ton of effort and I am beyond satisfied with second place. Especially if it comes with losing to you, who I accept fully that you're levels above me. You're someone I respect a ton, and I'm always asking about for just understanding new things in general. You're you're if you're the teacher, I'm the student. That's, that's exactly how I see it. Because, I mean, football, I don't watch a ton of, but I still get a grasp, especially with fantasy. I consider myself pretty above average with fantasy football. And basketball is the sport I've played, so I know that, yeah. like the back of my hand. But baseball and hockey, I mean, I played t-ball.
1: <laughs> and there was that one time you skated.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs>
1: i'm looking at it one of those people
0: just crawling along the wall yeah yeah absolutely
1: (laughs) i'm looking at it now i made 99 moves (laughs) during (laughs) the course of a year i'm always changing my team i'm like never happy with at least one player on it
0: yeah i could think of a handful of players on my team i was i was just pissed at i mean i i took a risk with luke dubois he he sucked even when he got traded Mm -hmm. i'm like yes he got traded and clearly didn't make a difference Pederson was hurt the whole year. Yeah, Petrangelo was below average, but it's funny. Most of my late round picks were solid. David Perone, through the roof. Adam Fox, through the roof. Yeah, like the like best Nazar defenseman in the really league really this year. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. Let's see who else was there. Um, I want to look at your team quick. Cause it's like, yeah, it was definitely you know.
0: Yeah, you'll, pro- you'll probably have to look at it from, like, two weeks ago or two weeks beforehand when yeah, let's... I picked up a bunch of random drop players.
1: Yep. Yeah, I love when that happens. Um, But, uh, yeah, exactly. And, like, guys, like, you know, it's always just so disappointing. I want to see when you picked up Parise or when you drafted Parise. Yeah, so you drafted him in the 13th round. And he had 18 points this year. And he was, yeah, yeah, he was a healthy scratch towards the end of the year because the coach just didn't like how he was playing defensively. And, um, you know, you just have like (laughs) Tom Wilson also, (laughs) 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 which I forget. Let's see during the finals he had.
0: I, I left him on IR even when he was healthy because I just, I just wasn't a fan. I'm like, this is my version of leaving him in timeout. And he, and it worked because he ended with negative points, but I think I had him in the starting lineup when he got tossed and there was like minus seven.
1: Yep. Yeah, and his last five games of the year, he had 16 penalty minutes, then 15 in the next game. Then he, was, he actually sat out of the box, but was still a minus two. Um, so he was minus for that game, then he had two penalty minutes the next game, and then ten in the last game of the year. And then that's... Any
0: points? Probably not.
1: Um, wait, what? Oh, um, yeah. Did he have any points? Yeah, in that game where he got kicked out against the Rangers the first time, he had a goal and an assist, and it all got wiped out because he got 16 penalty minutes. And then the next game was when he played two minutes got in a fight, got a 10-minute misconduct, and then just got sat the rest of the game.
0: Never drafting him again.
1: Yeah, in a league when penalty minutes are negative, I would never put him on my team.
0: I think that was the...
1: (laughs) What were you going to say?
0: I was going to say, I think that was just one of those things where, like, I was aware of it, but I mean, I was just running out of time. He was, like, an awkward, like, mid-round pick where it's like you don't want to reach so far down for players you think they're gonna do really well but there's also no one who you can definitely bank on being good yeah and i was just like screw it i'll I'll just take the guy who fights a ton that's kind of just how i knew him and he's like
1: he's still a good player as much as i hate to admit it like he can still put up like 40 points a year um and he plays with ovechkin most of the year which of course that's going to be a bunch of assists or you know he goes hard to the net so it's going to be picking up the chances that Oveshkin doesn't finish on. So, plus you have, like, mm-hmm. either Backstrom or Kuznetsov down the middle. So, it's like, that's another thing, like, what you were talking about, where it's like, you know, Wilson might not be or who you think of when it comes to skill in the Capitals, but he plays with those skilled players, so he's going to be one of the benefactors of the points that they get. Um, which, you know on a nor- in a normal situation he'd be a perfect example for that but it's just such a negative with how many penalty minutes he picks up that it's just not worth it yeah makes a lot of sense we are approaching two hours i usually cap it off about 210
0: just based on time uh that anchor like lets me up uh upload to Was there anything else you wanted to ask about before we
1: end this episode um let's see uh you know in let's just switch over to music real quick in the alternative genre which is basically the only one that i can talk about um what what has been like your favorite album this year
0: that's tough because i've listened to a lot of just alternative in general because rap's my main category and that's been super subpar so far i mean last maybe last month it's been picked up a lot with j cole dropping a new album but i mean like january to april was just awful i'd say i've listened to porter robinson a lot i'd recommend him he's not alternative he's more electronic but he definitely sounds like other people um his music's incredible really upbeat like kind of like a like a summary vibe i feel like Yeah, it's a wide genre, so like,
1: even, you see, like, alternative stations will play, like, uh, I think, um, that the Chainsmokers and Coldplay song that that crossed over into alternative and, like, you know, uh, the song with Marshmallow and Churches. So, basically, like, as long as a kind of alternative artist is, um, you know, kind of collabs with an electronic artist, it's like, they give it an excuse to put it on. And I've seen, like, uh, Uh, with the uh, San Holo, kind of got a start on alternative, and they're who I think of as a mostly electronic group. Same with, um, that yeah, kind of Francis and the Lights, but, um, yeah, it's definitely there's just, there's so much that fits into the alternative genre that you could basically, you know, consider anything to be that, as long as it's not, you know, like solely in, say, so, a solely rap song or just, you know, uh, just something that you know you'd only play on pop radio anything like outside of those qualifications are kind of like you know fit into alternatives so that's why i just think it's so such an interesting genre
0: yeah and definitely in terms of its flexibility like you mentioned like uh, like the the scott dream album mm. i sent you i mean that has so many rock elements but it's literally labeled alternative and you can kind of hear the alternative elements i listened yeah. to the new black midi album that's a lot of same thing it's like punk rock elements but it's labeled alternative and you can still hear the alternative elements but like the, the stretch of just alternative and the subgenres is insane like even the killers like they used to be way more rock yeah. in their early early album like sam's town was i think even labeled a rock album and you know now their most recent project is like new wave alternative mm-hmm. it's it's really interesting. And that's one of the big reasons I like it and I'm so into it right now is just because I'm hearing like all these different sounds and yeah. you know, it's hard to, it's it's easy and hard to differentiate because like, you know, I listen to, a, you know, Scott Dream and I can tell it's much more different than like MGMT, mm-hmm. but it's all just new sound in general that like, I just, I roll with it and don't really focus on in terms of listening to so much of like the quality itself that i just kind of roll with it it's kind of like the same thing happened when i really got into mma at first like it was just it's something that you follow and don't focus so much on trying to understand it all you just enjoy it like that's kind of what alternative music is to me right now because i don't i don't know so much about like all the the ins and outs like compared to rap where it's like i literally write music reviews now so i feel like i have to listen to certain things yeah listen to them in a spectrum that I can then write about it afterwards compared to Alternative where I don't write about them at all, maybe once at the end of the year for just some of my favorite albums, but like, I mean, that's so subjective. Like, it doesn't matter. And just like being able to listen to stuff subjectively and just enjoy it just to enjoy it. It's it's really nice. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's just, there's just, you know, so much, like so many different sounds that could all be considered alt, so that's why it's just like I just feel like you know I could listen to you know hundreds of bands and and never feel like I need to you know listen to a different kind of music because it all you know even though it's labeled the same it's all different to me so
0: yeah it's great it is really great you I remember I sent you the god dream album and you said it was interesting I wanted to ask what were your thoughts on that because it's actually interesting so I didn't realize this at first that There's an original album that came out a year beforehand called No Dream, Not Ska Dream. And I guess Ska is now like this new style where it's like albums are remixed to sound like a lot more like punk rock. And, you know, a lot of the sounds are exploited a lot more compared to like the original album. And I listened to the whole original album and that's what I heard. So I just want to hear your thoughts
1: for listening to
0: a Ska album first before the regular version,
1: yeah. So like, Scott is actually—it's just like kind of, uh, it's an off reggae, or like it's—it's it's really similar to reggae, but it's different. Um, I don't know if it's like necessarily remixes, but that might have been like the case where it was just like he was trying those songs in a different style. But I feel like I've yeah. you know seen Scott acts before, like live and it's just kind of like it's just their their genre um so that like yeah it's kind of i just looked it up it's basically a style of reggae um and i just thought with that that album that it was just like you know there were elements from like everywhere in it like there were just even like throughout like um the songs like there were just different styles in it like you know one minute of a song sounds you know just like solely ska and then it just could go into like kind of something that sounds almost like i don't know like a, it belongs in a trap song and then like something that sounds like it belongs in an indie song so i just thought like it switched styles so much it was just like i don't know i just kind of find those types of albums fascinating
0: yeah especially i think more in the intro song it's like the whole entire like vibe just completely changes mm-hmm. yeah and absolutely and, that also yeah. includes the elements used and it's kind of cool because that's been more introduced in rap more recently but it just in general it's, it's always interesting especially if you can pull it off really well sometimes it sounds like garbage but i thought especially in that album particularly it, it sounded really cool
1: yeah totally agree yeah
0: so that's going to do it all for this episode of the harley show eric i really appreciate having you on i've been waiting for this episode for a while because <laughs> like mentioned beforehand you are like the expert in a lot of things i'm trying to become an expert in so it's always nice to hear from you and hear what you have to say about things i learned a lot from today i hope you had fun yeah absolutely
1: um yeah, yeah. i appreciate you can definitely you. have you on
0: yeah absolutely well you'll probably be on again sometime thank you again this album this episode will be over two hours and if you've made it this far i sincerely appreciate that from the bottom of my heart thank you all again for listening have a wonderful rest of your week all right